As I was meditating on the songs that we just sang throughout the week, I was reminded of several passages of Scripture. Uh, Revelations 21 and 22 were really uh, impressed on my heart. I won't read both chapters in the interest of time, but I did want to read just a little bit from Revelation 22 because I believe this is the reason why we sing songs like Come Thou Fount, because we believe that God is gracious, merciful, he's faithful to perform his promises, he's coming back again. And so as you read through Revelations 21, 22, it's a promise of a place that far exceeds any place we could ever experience on this earth, the new heavens, the new earth. And then John closing out the Revelation, verse 16 and 17, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In verse 20 and 21, John closes out, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. When you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you may have some highs, you may have some hardships that make it feel low, but because of the goodness of God, come, come Lord Jesus. I feel that in my heart as I can identify with my sister, Leanne, who shared so graciously. It's not always easy, but God is always good. And it's this truth that compels us to live with expectation and excitement in this life. It defines the way that we do things, who we are, how we behave. And so as we've been walking through this series talking about a gospel culture, we've identified time and time again different customs or practices, if you will, that are appropriate for the way of life for the believer. And with expectation and excitement of Jesus' return, another pillar that we practice as believers in Jesus Christ is obedience. And we're going to see that in the passage this morning. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2, looking at verses 12 through 18. Paul is going to let us know about obedience. He's admonishing the saints to continue to obey God. And he's going to teach about the source of obedience He's going to talk to us about the look of obedience, and he's going to teach us about the impact of obedience. And my prayer is that before we leave this space, that we will leave encouraged, uplifted, stirred up, ready to run in spite of what's going on around us, in us, but not because it's easy, not because we're trying to fake it, but because of who God is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. Before we unpack the passage, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can come, that we can come to your throne of grace knowing that you, a loving and gracious God, would hear us, that you would care about us, and that you would take care of us. 
And so, Lord, we come into this space this morning with a myriad of things going on. The emotions vary as much and as many as the people in the room. But yet, Lord, I believe because of who you are that you can speak a word that meets each and every one of us at the point of our name. So as we enter into your holy scriptures on this morning, it's our prayer that you would speak to our hearts, that you would lift the heavy heart, that you would encourage the downtrodden, that you would stir up the church, that we might be a people who trust you, who obey you, who are willing to live for you until the day that Jesus Christ returns or you call us home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It's the word of God. The word of God is good all by itself. As we pick up in verse 12, Paul opens up this verse with a therefore. And he's referring to what was talked about last week in verses 9 through 11. Because of who Christ is, the highly exalted one, the name above every name. Verse 10 says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of Jesus, my beloved as you have always obeyed, Paul is admonishing the church to continue to obey. And we see here in verse 12b that Paul tells the people what they are to do and how they are to do it. And then in verse 13, he says, why? Before unpacking verse 12b, I want to start with verse 13 because the why, I believe, will help us to grab a hold a little bit more of the what and the how that Paul is admonishing the church to, to continue as you've always obeyed. Continue to obey. Paul communicates to the saints in Philippi. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God, Paul is communicating, is working in the saints. And this word working comes from the Greek word energeo. It means energized. So that's where we get the word energized from. So Paul is communicating that God is actively, presently, continually 
working in the saints, energizing them. The picture that it paints is of an electrical current energizing a cord so that the electrical current makes its way to a light bulb, causing the light bulb to shine. So God is working in a situation to move it from one point to the other. God is energizing you, Paul says, to do two things, to will and to work for his good pleasure, to will, to desire to do. And then to work is the same Greek word communicating energizing, to give you the ability to accomplish. God is energizing you, working in you to desire to do and to be able to accomplish his good pleasure. So we see the source that the people of God are tapping into is supposed to be the spirit of God. God energizes the body of Christ to be able to shine like a light in this lost and broken world. So Paul, with this understanding, admonishes, encourages the believers to work out your own salvation. Now let me explain what Paul is not saying here. He is not communicating to the church that you need to earn your salvation. He says work out your own salvation. So this is a present possession. Imagine someone giving you a check. And I write this check for you. You know that I have the money. What do you do with that check? You take this check and you go to the bank and you cash the check. So you presently in your hand have the check, but you don't have the cash just yet. You need to go and cash it, but you know it's good. Right? It's the, the term that we now use. It's the already but not yet. So Paul understands that salvation is a present possession for the believer, but what he's communicating here is to be faithful and to the attainment of the salvation that you presently possess. So work out what God has worked in, your own salvation, and he tells them how to do this with fear and trembling. Now, again, because this is not a salvation that you need to earn, but it's been purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ, this is not a fear and trembling as though you need to be terrified that you might lose that which you presently possess. Now, this fear and this trembling communicates something different. The word fear speaks to reverence, dedication. It's a devotion. So he's saying to work out your salvation with devotion to God. This word trembling communicates trembling with great fear, but again, not terror, but awareness. It's describing a person who is greatly concerned because they are completely aware of their inability to meet the full requirement, even though they are going to use all of them to do their duty. So in other words, it paints a picture of desperate dependence, right? What do you do when you desire to do, but you know that you can't do in your own strength? Well, you ask for help, right? So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear, reverence, devotion to God, and trembling, desperate dependence on God. And this is a God who is working in you presently, actively, continually, so that you might have the desire to do and the ability to accomplish his good pleasure. So it's not in your own strength. Paul communicates that you are going to be able to obey God. Actually, he says it's the opposite. You need to be aware that you can't do it in your own strength. But know the one who is working in you will work through you so that you might accomplish his good pleasure. And Paul wasn't alone in believing this truth. Peter, a disciple of Jesus Christ who walked and talked with Jesus, believed the same thing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, Paul Peter is communicating the same thing that Paul did. 
work out what God has worked in. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Peter is saying it's through the divine power of Jesus Christ that God the Father has drawn us to himself and now has granted us this divine nature. It's not anything that you did in and of your own strength to earn it. God, his grace and his mercy through his son is now energizing you through his divine nature. And because God has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness, Peter does not communicate as Paul doesn't communicate. Just sit down, play it safe, and coast until Jesus comes back. No, he says, now work out what God has worked in. Verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1. For this very reason, because God has given by his divine power the opportunity for us to be partakers of this divine nature, make every effort, work it out. To supplement your faith, a gift given to you by God, with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Because God actively, presently, continually is giving you the ability to be obedient. Be faithful, be obedient by staying devoted to God and being desperately dependent on God. There's a danger that we need to be aware of as Paul admonishes the church to be faithful and to the attainment of salvation. In our secular culture, not the gospel culture, the secular culture frowns on desperate dependence. It's a sign of weakness. If you're dependent, if you're needy, it's a negative connotation that people will use. And so the world would have you to believe that you need to be independent. You need to be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need to be able to make it happen. If you need to run faster, then you just got to work harder. If you need to be smarter, you need more degrees, just go get it. But you've got to do it in your own strength. Make it happen. Grow to the point where you need no one and no thing and you could do it on your own. See, that's, that's a lie that's ineffective if we're going to be faithful to God to the end. And so that's a danger that could lead us to be disobedient because instead of trusting in our source and plugging in so that electrical current is running through us, we might actually think that we'll just plug into ourselves and in our own strength and our own energy try to make that happen. And if anybody's ever tried that before, I imagine you've come to realize the same thing that I have. It doesn't work. You're just a dead cord with no power. But Paul is not encouraging you, me, or the church, or the saints in Philippi to plug into yourself. He's saying there's a source that will energize you to give you the strength to do the good pleasure of God. And if we plug into that source then we will be able to have the look of obedience. 
which Paul tells us what obedience looks like lived out in verse 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So here, I just want to make it very clear. Paul says do all things. How many things does Paul say to do? Okay, so for the five of you that are really believing this truth and you're ready to go to heaven with me, that's great. Now for the rest of you, welcome to the room. Yes, we're going to be communicative here. So we're going to participate just a little bit. All right, so I'm going to need you to say it like you actually mean it and believe it. And I'm going to look to see if someone doesn't move their lips. And then I'm going to call out your name. It's a very small room. I can see you all the way to the back. Paul says to do how many things? Somebody was scared that I was going to call your name. That was a good job. I'm not going to call you. Do all things. Not some things. Not the things that you like. Not the things that seem fun. Not the things that seem easy. Do all things. And just so that we can have the context, the church in Philippi is going through. They're experiencing persecution because of their faith. And Paul is encouraging them, admonishing them because of who Christ is. The source that gives them the strength to trust and obey. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. This word grumbling means muttering or mumbling. It communicates a silent displeasure. Maybe you could understand it as I did as a kid. I'm going to say how my mother called me, but if anybody tries to be funny and call me this afterwards, I will lay hands on you, and it's not going to be for prayer. All right. Don't test me. So my mother would say, Mikey, go wash the dishes. And as I'm going to wash the dishes, I don't know why I got to wash the dishes. Jerry's not doing anything. Like, what did you say, son? I said, I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to wash the dishes because it reminds me of the blessing of food in my belly. You know, I was like I was, I was muttering, mumbling under my breath. I didn't want her to hear my silent displeasure. Now, I was still going to go and do the dishes. Just my attitude wasn't going to be right. Just, oh, my, huh, huh. And anybody, anybody else, so you all looking at me like, Michael, you were that way when you were a kid. Some of you that way right now. <clears throat> right? We murmur and complain under our breath, grumbling, still doing it. Just not the right attitude. The opposite of murmuring and complaining is to do with a cheerful and willful mind. But Paul also says to do without disputing. This is a back and forth reasoning, a talking back. My Aunt Sarah figured out a great cure for talking back. It's called the backhand. My cousin would test it out. What'd you say? Yeah, it just feel different. Now, I'm not condoning the backhand. I'm just saying my Aunt Sarah used it, and it seemed to be effective. But it was a little bit harsh. <clears throat> but it worked. Topper didn't talk back. But what it's speaking of in this passage is when in, in context of obedience, it means hesitation, questioning. So here Paul is saying to not hesitate, to not doubt. Do all things without hesitation in the positive It's to do all things right away. So do all things with a cheerful and willful mind and do it right away. And if you have this look of obedience, Paul says you will be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This word blameless means free of fault. The word innocent, pure, untainted, but it can also in our vernacular be translated blameless. And then the word without blemish means faultless, and it could also be translated 
blameless. So the way that I was reading it this week is Paul is saying, if you do all things without grumbling or disputing, you will be blameless, blameless, blameless. I just want to drive this point home. You'll be blameless, children of God, in a crooked and twisted generation. Just to understand how important this is. Paul here, when he says crooked, the Greek word is scolios, right? It's the way we get the word scoliosis from. So literally it means crooked or bent. But figuratively, it's talking about a moral twistedness. That's the result of not having the Holy Spirit. This twisted generation, it means to turn thoroughly to a new shape opposite of the shape that it was intended to be. So it's distorted, perverted. So in this world, this secular culture, this generation, there are people who are morally twisted because they are living life absent of God, absent of the Holy Spirit. There are people that are distorted, made in the image of God, but because they're not living for God, they're not serving in the purpose which God would intend for them. They're opposite of the shape that God had purposed, and so they're twisted. And the Lord is letting us know that if we live and we do all things with a cheerful and willful mind, and right away that we will be blameless, blameless, blameless in this crooked and twisted generation. And before we talk about the impact that this living will have, I want to make sure to point out another danger that could lead to disobedience as we think through what it looks like to be obedient children of God and have an impact in this world, right? So we allow ourselves, and I'm saying we, not you, because this is where I found myself being corrected, challenged, and encouraged in the Lord as well. We will allow ourselves to sit in some things for a little while. It's the low-grade complaining or murmuring. You know, it's the thought of, man, I don't know why they got their blessing. I'm over here struggling. Like, what, what did I not do to get my, you know, just that kind of thought. Or oh, why am I going through this? And just, just silent displeasure. You're not going to say it to anybody, but you know how you feel. And then if somebody does see that you're not feeling well and they want to encourage you in the Lord, you walk away still murmuring and complaining like you just don't know what I'm going through. Right? We'll allow ourselves to sit in a pool of self-pity for an extended period of time. Right? Or we'll find ourselves distrusting God because of some experiences that we've had. Even though we know verse 9 through 11 of Philippians 2 to be true. The name that is above every name. For some reason right now, I'm not feeling like I could trust God. So when he says, Michael, go do something, I'm like, well, what, what's going to happen if I do it? I'm going to need you to give me just a little bit more information. Right now, I might go do it, but there's going to be just a slight hesitation. Back and forth reasoning, which doesn't that seem silly? It's just about as silly, but even sillier than a three-year-old trying to have a debate with a 33-year-old. What are we talking about here? Like, are you really going to try and go back and forth reasoning with me with your limited knowledge of the world? <clears throat> How does that look? Me going in a back and forth reasoning with God. It looks silly, but has anybody else done it before? All right, for the five or so people who are willing to be honest, <clears throat> right, and just say, no, I've done that before. We'll just take that as a consensus for the room. We've all had a back and forth reasoning with God as though we know better than the one who would send his only son to die for my sins so that I could be saved and be in relationship with him. So if we're not careful, if we allow ourselves to sit in that space too long, 
then that will be a danger that leads us to disobedience. Now, something that really encouraged me here is that Paul is not saying do all things without murmuring and complaining or or arguing or disputing so that you might be saved. No, he's saying so that you might be blameless, and we'll get to what that purpose is going to be. But here's the thing that we just need to grab a hold of. You might find yourself there, but don't stay there, right? So the, the complaining or the disputing, it's not a sign that you're not saved. What needs to be understood, though, is that I can't allow myself to stay there because God calls me to do all things without grumbling or disputing. So because of what God calls me to, in my own strength, absolutely not, no way. I'm complaining about every little thing I see. You could have given me a thousand things, but I'm going to complain about this one thing. Like, Michael, but what about the a thousand? That doesn't matter. That was yesterday. Today, this is a problem. I need to be taken care of now if I'm going to give you any praise. See, we can stay there. But we know that it's not helpful to. So what do I do? I tap into the source. Desperately depend on the Lord. Lord, I need you. I need you. I cannot do this without you. And I know right now my thinking is not in a healthy place. I need some help so that I don't stay stuck here, so that I can continue to live in this crooked and twisted generation, blameless, 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 so that they might be impacted by your love. So be careful of that danger, that you don't stay stuck in the complaining. It hurts. It's hard. Understand. But we can't afford to stay in a space of self-pity. We can't afford to stay in a space of feeling like somebody is more blessed than I am when I have the fullness of the joy of God and I have the spirit of the living God in me just like you do. That I need to lean into that even in the hardships. And Paul lets us know that if we do all things without grumbling or disputing, that that's going to allow us to have an impact in this crooked and twisted generation. And Paul tells us there are two impacts of obedience. The first we see here in 15b and 16. It says, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So again, if we live, if we have the look of obedience, no grumbling, no disputing, and we are blameless, without fault, we're shining the light of the Lord's love, says that we will be lights in this dark space. Jesus taught this to his disciples, that they were to be a light. We are to be a light. And the way that we will be a light is holding fast to the word of life. So our obedience will have an impact to where the lost in this world can see something different. The morally twisted, because of the absence of the Holy Spirit, can see what it looks like if they would come to Christ. Those who have been distorted and perverted can see the hope that they can have in Jesus when they see me tapping into my source and living out obedience because the Lord is energizing me to do and accomplish his good pleasure. Jesus telling his disciples to be a light. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, crooked and twisted generation, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
So what kind of works are these that we're doing that people would look at me doing good works and give glory to my Father? Well, that's me living in obedience to the Lord. So they're not going to give glory to Michael because, Michael, man, you are so great, awesome, and mighty. Like, no. I'm living in obedience to the Lord. And so because of my obedience to the Lord, when someone looks at me, they're going to give glory to God saying, man, God has got to be good if he can use Michael for his glory. Amazing. Right? And it draws people in because I'm being a light of the Lord's love. So when I tap into the source... I live a life of devotion to God and desperate dependence on God. And now that gives me the ability to do all things without murmuring or hesitation. I can be a light in this world so that others might see that there's something better. That there's something different. That there's a good God who loves them and would call them to himself. But again, I said that this was a dual impact. So Paul also communicates that not only will it be a blessing to those in the world, but that we will experience the benefits of obedience as well. Verse 16 goes on to read, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, in order to understand verse 17, you'll have to go back to read Leviticus and read over some of the sacrificial system. But that was communicating an offering of praise to God. Right? And so Paul is saying that by you holding fast to the word of life, you will attain the salvation that you presently possess. You will experience the eternal kingdom. Hold fast to the hope that you have in Christ. Continue to obey, to trust God, and you will experience eternal life. You will have worked out your salvation. You will have been faithful to the end, and there's a prize that awaits you. Again, Peter same disciple that walked with Jesus, affirms and agrees with Paul's theology that if you endure to the end, not only will you be a light to a crooked and twisted generation, but you can also be assured that you will attain salvation. Here we'll continue reading in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if these qualities that Peter that we read just before are in you and growing, you won't be ineffective and unfruitful. You will be lights in this world because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 But Peter also understands the dangers. And this is a warning. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Whoever forgets these qualities, whoever forgets what God has done for you and what God is doing in you, and you stop practicing, This obedience to God, 
that you start to find yourself wanting to do it in and of your own strength, that you find yourself starting to not feel like you can trust God, so you've got to do it for yourself, that you find yourself starting to murmur and complain and being discontent, and it started out with a day, a week, a year, five years. Now you went from preaching the gospel to renouncing the faith to doing this silly deconstructing thing that people are doing. If you find yourself getting there, be careful because you can become so nearsighted that you're blind. And you forget that you have been cleansed from your former sins. So now you go back to the very thing that you have been rescued from. Be careful. It's a danger if you don't continue to practice these things. And so naturally, Pastor Peter would have the same admonishment that Paul does to the saints in Philippi. Verse 10, 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Be all the more diligent. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Practice these qualities. And he says you will never fall. Now, please understand that this fall doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. This fall does not mean that you will never sin. That if you practice these qualities, you will be perfect. That's not what Peter is speaking to. The fall that he's speaking to is a loss of salvation. If there's anybody that knows, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and still make a mess of things, it was Peter. Peter walked with Jesus, seen the miracles of Jesus, and Peter going to stand there and rebuke Jesus. Peter, that is a bad idea. And then Peter still, now that was Peter pre-Holy Spirit filled, but after on the day of Pentecost, Peter, Holy Spirit filled, leads 3,000 people to Christ because he preaches the gospel under the leading of the Holy Spirit. This Peter, now the father of the early church, if you will, some might argue, finds himself having to be corrected by Paul because he was eating with some Gentiles, and that wasn't kosher for the Jews, okay? <clears throat> so he had to pull away. <clears throat> from the table, and now Peter's having to be corrected by Paul because Paul says, hey, Peter, what you're doing is not right. You're messing around and messing up the other believers, and now Barnabas is over here thinking the same thing, and he's starting to act different. And so Peter had to be called out. So Peter knows, listen, being filled with the Holy Spirit and practicing these qualities doesn't mean you will never make mistakes again. But however, because of the love of God, we can repent return and run for the Lord, we will not lose our salvation. So you still going to mess up with your messy self, but you don't have to lose your salvation, your hope and glory. When you make that mess up, when you find yourself, I don't know why the Lord got me out here suffering, and I just in there like, you know what, Michael, get your mind right. My Lord, I'm sorry. You're right. I just had a moment where I felt like I was supposed to be living for myself. And it's at some point, my life was supposed to be easy and comfortable, and I forgot what Jesus did for me and what he's calling me to do for him and for the good of others. Forgive me for having a moment here, because I, I had a moment. <clears throat> okay, just for a moment, just so that we can encourage each other. And Lord, anybody else ever had a moment? Just by a show of hands. <clears throat> I'm going to look at everybody. If you're not raising your hand, I'm serious. I'm walking down. <clears throat> you're not, you're not going to raise your hand? You see, you didn't think I was going to go, okay, I see it. It was behind somebody. All right, all right, all right I'm going to leave you. I, I know them. That's why I was able to do that. So, <clears throat> but we all have had a moment. And so this is not to think that we need to be perfect, 
right? Because that's a struggle that we can have. Again, secular culture says you need to be perfect. Gospel culture has no expectations of your perfection. It's the very reason that Jesus sent his son, because he knows you can't be perfect. So why now, after coming into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, am I going to turn around and try to act like I'm going to be perfect? No, I'm not going to be perfect. But when I do have that moment, I'm also going to acknowledge I can't stay here. I can't stay here. This hurts. It's hard. But the one who would be willing to send his only son for my salvation, what good thing would he withhold from me now? What good thing would he withhold from me now? This is for my good, for his glory. The Lord is still growing me in the faith, right? And so I'm going to lean in, and I'm not going to stay stuck in those moments so that I will never fall away. Because if I stay there, that's when you start to run into the danger of falling away and renouncing the faith because we stay there. So you may find yourself there. You might even find yourself there today. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. And so Peter continues to write here in verse 11. For in this, in this way, as we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, doing all things with a cheerful and willing mind and without delay. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ you will apprehend that which has apprehended you. You will attain the salvation that you presently possess. So we can now understand why Paul would admonish, would encourage the saints in Philippi, though they have been faithful, to continue to be faithful, to continue to hold on to the hope that you have in Jesus to keep running. Don't feel like you've grown so much that you figured it out. Stay desperately dependent. Stay needy. Stay right there. That's the sweet spot because that's going to help you stay plugged into your source so that you can do all things in a way that reflects the love of God and has an impact in this world and causes you to run all the way through the finish. Stay right there. I want to encourage you in that. Okay, this is one of my favorite verses Verse 12 and 13 of 2 Peter as a pastor, because this is what I feel like pastors are called to do, or anybody who proclaims the gospel even. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm not ever looking to preach something new. I pray that you hear the same good old gospel over and over and over again. What you preaching on next week, Michael? The gospel. About the week after that, the gospel. Man, is there like anything else? You, what do you do when you have the greatest news ever? Water it down? No, I'm going to preach about the gospel 53 Sundays. And if you'll come and listen a little bit, I'll even preach on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like, I'll just keep talking about it. It's the gospel, the gospel, and you want a little bit more of it? The gospel. Right? That's the hope that we stand on. So I hope to remind you of what you already know and established in. Nothing new. Just what's true, what's lovely, 
what's good, so that we can be stirred up to continue to run. Because the truth is, while we hear this word, we all face the same dangers. Right? It's a true thing, and, I, and I, it's my prayer every single week. And so it could sound like, oh, okay, well, that's the company line, and he's just going to say that that's in the script or whatever, that, that we leave here different than how we came. That's not the company line for me. That's my heart for you and for me. We have come into the presence of the Holy Lord. Please don't allow us to leave here the same way we came in. Right? So if you came in this morning feeling like in your heart, I'm on an island all by myself, you have access to the spirit of the living God. He's your source. Right? And if we don't plug in to the Holy Spirit, right, that's where we start to find ourselves being overwhelmed, anxious, consumed with concern because we can't figure it out. And something or someone has convinced us at some point in our life that we were supposed to have figured this out. Listen, I want to be, if the Lord should allow me to see the day, the most needy 80-year-old in the history of mankind. Lord, I need you. Like, Michael, you haven't figured it out? Yes, yes, I did. You know what I figured out? I need him. And I don't see any reason to, to veer from that because every time that I have, it hasn't gone well. It's like, Lord, I need you. You, you here again, Michael? Yes, I am. Welcome, son. Come on. You need me, and I'm here for you. He's here for you. Right, so I want to stir it up in us. I feel it's right to do that, to stir up in us what you already know. He's in the room, and you just needed that reminder Right, you got yourself dressed, and you came here on a Sunday morning. You could have been anywhere else. Right, so I really do want to encourage you. Sometimes I feel like pastors just go a little bit too far, and I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, so sometimes I may go a little bit too far on some things. And we beat up the people who are in the room. It's like, Michael, hold on. That's for the people who aren't here. Like, they're here. You might have gotten here late. I saw you. I was at the back door. Welcome you in. But you're here. And that's a good thing. I don't want to beat you up. I want to stir you up to say God has brought you here. This is a divine appointment. You could ignore that and think, no, it's not. It was a Sunday morning. This is what I get up and do every day. No, you're not recognizing then your desperate dependence. Go ahead and take a deep breath. Again, participation for me. If we all take it at the same time, I should be able to hear it. So I'm going to count to three just so I can hear the deep breath. You're like, you know what? This pastor trying to get me to say a whole lot. I am. One day, one of you going to say amen and stand up. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? But <clears throat> on the count of three, just a deep breath. One, two, three. And then let it out. How'd you do that? You don't have no clue. <clears throat> right? We have no clue. Where did the oxygen come from? Yeah, you can tell me photosynthesis and all the process, but how did it get in this room? And how to get into my nostrils and fill up my lungs and then start to spread some oxygen through my blood. Like, how does that happen? How is my heart doing that thing that it's been doing for so long? I don't know. I'm not making it happen. I'm needy. I don't know how all this is working. I don't know, but I'm, I'm grateful that it is. Right? And if we acknowledge that, right, that we're desperately dependent on God, 
and he's a good God who takes care of us and that he's in the room right now, listen, whatever you came in with, whatever you came in with, he's bigger. He's bigger. And we need to sit in that. We need to hold on to that. To not let the quarter be bigger than the sun. You know the thing that you do. Oh, look, I'm blocking the sun with this quarter. No, you're not. It's the sun. Right? But that's my perspective. May my problems not become bigger than the sun. And may I put them in light of who God is and say, you know, this is hard. This hurts. But God is here. And he's for me. You hear that? I mean, he's for you. If he wanted to, he could have wiped us all out a long time ago. But he hasn't done that. It's another opportunity to experience his goodness. And listen, just because I understand that everybody in the room might not be saved, allow me to say this as well. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is another opportunity. As Hebrews says, the day you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come to the one who would invite you into his presence. Don't leave here the same way you came in. The situations may be the same. But the reminder that the Holy Spirit is energizing me to be able to do and to accomplish the good pleasure of the Lord. I just need to tap in. I need to tap into the source. Let's tap in to the source on this morning so that we can draw closer. This is not just another Sunday. This is a Sunday like none other. And our gracious, merciful, loving God would remind us that the key to experiencing him is obedience and that you don't have to do that in your own strength. He will energize you to do his good pleasure. I want to invite the praise team to come up as we prepare our hearts and minds to go before the Lord. I feel it right to take a few minutes just to give a quiet space where you can go before the Lord. Because again, what I've come to understand is that this word is true, but we all are in different spaces. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, knows what you need. He knows where you are. And so I don't want to just move on to the next song just yet. I want us to sit in what God has stirred up in us. Right, This pillar that we are to practice, this custom of obedience, it can feel at times like a weight. But isn't it a gracious reminder that God says, I will energize you to do what I've called you to? So for some of us on this morning, we need to be reminded of that and we need to lean into that. And we need to cry out to the Lord asking for forgiveness because I've been trying to do it in my own strength. I've been trying to figure it out on my own. Rather than plugging into the source, I've tried to unplug and try and figure it out on my own. And I start to feel overwhelmed. Start to feel weighted down, broken, and discouraged. Father, forgive me. I'm plugging back in. That's the prayer of some. Some of us may need to sit in this for a moment as we come in knowing that we've been murmuring. A silent displeasure. Now, I know he's good, and I'm going to do what he says, but I'm not going to be happy about it. 
And we just need to be stirred up a little bit to remember that we should do all with a cheerful and willing heart. Not because all is easy, but because God is good. And so I just need to repent. I've been murmuring and complaining. And trust me, the Lord lovingly rings the bell because some of us may have been murmuring and complaining for weeks, months, maybe even years. Like a slow virus has been chipping away at our souls, becoming unhappy, even though we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord, feeling depressed, even though we're to have the peace of God. It was that murmuring, and I just want to hand that over. Lord, I give this to you. This situation that I've been disgruntled by, this thing that I've been looking forward to that has been so delayed that I don't even think it's coming anymore, that I feel like it's denied, and I've been looking to that for my hope and strength. I want to hand that over to you so that I can hold on to you and not to this thing. Forgive me for murmuring and complaining. And for some of us, we may have been hesitant to do what God said. And the Lord is ringing the bell. Don't delay anymore. Right away. Go do what he said. And you know what it is. If it's to let something go, if it's to give something to someone, if it's to call somebody up and let them know you love them, if it's to speak to somebody and tell them that you forgive them, go do that right away. Because we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. We're to love as we have been loved. And so while I was hesitant to do that because I don't feel like they deserve it, I know that I don't deserve what I receive. So Lord, Forgive me, I'm going to go and do exactly what you said. I pray that you're stirred up on this morning so that for the next couple of minutes, you and Jesus, stand, kneel, sit, pray. You can lay prostrate in the aisle if that's your thing. You and Jesus, please, don't take this as a couple of minutes of quiet and I'm just waiting for the next thing. This is the moment that you've been waiting for. He's in the room, and he, he's here to meet you at the point of your need. I want you to pray. In a couple of minutes, I'll pray for us all.